Well, good morning. We uh, have been going through the uh, book of Judges, and we've wrapped that up. That was a, a good series. Uh, I thought as we thought about, you know, ultimately seeing God work, uh, work through all the, that process. But, uh, uh, but if you weren't here for, for much of that, again, uh, what we saw is this continuing downward spiral uh, of God's people, the Israelites. And it just continued to get worse and worse, uh, where God would continue to intervene by sending these judges. And ultimately, it gets to the point uh, through the book of Judges where God is basically hopping in because he needs to. Even though the people don't want God, even though they don't recognize it, God is faithful to himself and said, I, you know, I made a promise and a covenant uh, to, to all of humanity uh, that the world would be blessed through, through you, and, and I can't allow what continues to happen. And so we see this picture where God continues to play the hero through and through, and um, you know, ultimately, again, it would be through Christ that the Savior would come, right? And so God is protecting his line and his promise. Well, as we keep going through the Old Testament, if we were to keep going through, you know, the book of Judges doesn't end and then all of a sudden the Israelites get it right. It just really continues on this downward progression. We're sure at times some of the the kings of, of Israel get it right and there seems to be peace. But ultimately it gets to the point where it's so bad that God just keeps sending his prophets time and time again and says, listen, if you guys don't get your act together, there's going to be consequences. And they pretty much cast off his prophets. Uh, and so God brings them into captivity through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then God promises, though, that I'll restore you. And so after 70 years of captivity, he brings his people back uh, to the promised land. And they basically rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild as a society. And then we have this 400 years of silence where there's nothing, right? They're waiting for this Messiah. They're waiting for this promise to come, the Savior. Uh, and then finally we get to the book of the Gospels. But at this point, they've been in silence for so long that they basically have created their own structure of religion, very legalistic, and they've begun to create their own rules and laws. And then God shows us through the Gospels that, listen, Christ is the Savior. He's the one that you have been waiting for. And so the Gospels opens up and illuminates this whole idea of Christ and his, his miracles and his works and ultimately his death on the cross and the resurrection uh, of, of our saving king. Um, and then he raises up these men. And in the book of Acts, he basically says, listen, I'm going and he ascends up to heaven and he says, you're going to carry on the mission uh, of my name and you're going to go forward. And he says, wait for my power. And so we have this moment at Pentecost where, uh, you know, fire kind of comes down and the Holy Spirit comes on them and everyone understands each other. And now the spirit dwells within them and they're full of power. And these disciples who were basically hiding in a room at one point when Christ was gone, right, are now on the forefront of God's mission and going forward and proclaiming his glory, and that's essentially what we see through the book of Acts, is, is this movement of God's people and God's glory and the gospel message uh, being brought 
forward. And so the first four chapters is where we see Peter beginning this process, one of the apostles, and he's speaking to the people of Jerusalem. You know, repentance and, and salvation is at hand, and he's doing, he's doing miracles in the name of Christ, and we're seeing people uh, to becoming saved. And so then we come to Acts chapter 6. So I told you all that history just to kind of set us up there. So if you have your Bibles there, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read something here, and I'll talk about it, and then I'll tell you kind of what we're doing uh, for the sermon today. I know usually you kind of set out in the beginning, here's what we're going to do. I'll get to that in a moment. So if you're kind of like, where is Adam going with all of this? Uh, I, will, I will get to that. Uh, so Acts chapter 6, again, right? This is now the movement of God's people. Peter's been doing stuff. Uh, and then in, in, verse, uh, in, in verse 5, we have some other uh, persecutions, we have th- this other issue, and then we come to verse 6, in s- chapter 6. So starting in verse 1, and here's what it says. It said, In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn the responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Pecurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles whom they prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background here. Why is this such an issue, right? So we have these two groups of women, right, both Jewish, all right? We have the Hebrew ones and we have the Grecian ones or some translations will use the Hellenistic, which is just... You know, the spread of Greek culture. And so uh, essentially, as people were being spread, as, as persecution was happening, some of these Jews fled Jerusalem and they went all over. And now you had this group of Jewish women, widows, right, that have embraced the Greek culture, right? So, so they're now learning to speak Greek. They're dressing Greek. They're following Greek culture, you know, the music, uh, the customs, the traditions. And so the, the, the Hebraic Jews, or the, the Jews of Israel and Hebrew, basically snubbed their noses down at those women because they said, you know what, you're not as good as we are because, see, we remained here in Jerusalem where our forefathers were, right? We remain true to the one true God and the true faith. We haven't given up any of our culture. Now, now none of these women, you know, were following false gods. It's just we started, we, we started learning a different language. We were in a different place. Okay? We haven't done anything against our God, but as a result of that, again, uh, the, these Greek women, these Greek widows, were being overlooked, and they weren't getting the food they were supposed to be getting. Okay? So that's kind of the context of what's, of what's going on here, of what, we, of what we have. And so they go, listen, we got to figure out something. Let's get seven guys we don't really have time for this. I don't have time to be worrying about these petty squabbles. Let's get seven guys, and they can distribute the food, all right? And so the problem gets solved, and the ministry of the Word of God spreads, okay? Now, 
this is typically in the passage where we talk about deacons. Deacons literally just mean servant. Those nuts and bolts people, right? That that just you know you know uh, you know praise good and sharing the God. Just you know give me a hole and I'll dig it and I'll fill it. You know give me a house and I'll build it for somebody. That's kind of like a deacon type of person, right? And, and so this is traditionally where we see something. But what I want us to see there's two problems here. Why is this happening? One, there's an issue because there's a lack of unity. Okay, the, these Jewish women, the Jewish People, uh, God's people were not on the same page. Okay? There's a lack of unity in the gospel and in Christ. So that's why we have the superiority-inferiority complex. The second reason why we see this problem is because there is a lack of structure within the church. Right? If we go back again, what did they say? It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. Again, do you hear that? I don't have time to be waiting on you. I don't have time to give you food. I'm sorry. I've got better things to be doing right now. Now, that can seem kind of harsh, right? But because there's a lack of structure, there's a lack of failure in the church, and there was a lack of failure for the church to do its job. Once they structurally put the church in place, what do we see? We see the expansion and the word of God spread. So Adam had approached me a while ago, and he said, I want you to talk about something that's super, super exciting to me. To Adam, he hates this kind of stuff, right? And that's church structure. The church needs to be organized in a certain way and function in a certain way for a purpose. And if the church does not have that structure, everything falls apart. Okay? So that's what we're talking about today, and I want us to kind of get to the end of this and really realize there's a reason why there's order to the church, and not only that there's order to the church, but how do we fit into this order, and ultimately for what purpose? Why did God structure the church the way that he has for what purpose? And that's what we're going to kind of get at by the end there. So, um, so again, right? You know, we think about church structure. I mean, think about a CEO, right? Does a CEO ever go around and and is he like mopping up floors and like scrubbing toilets of a major company? No, because he's got better things to do with his time, right? He's got to be the leader. He's got to be visionary. He's probably got big meetings to be at. All of the stuff he needs to be doing. Now, it's not the fact that that stuff is underneath of him. It's just the fact that a major corporation. If there's not proper structure in place, it's never going to grow the way that it's supposed to grow. Okay, so kind of just keep that in mind there. So, uh, so again, we need to have we need to have structure here as we go through. And I found this online, and I thought this was pretty good as it talked about church structure. Okay, structure develops in a way for a group to organize its activities, pursue its purpose. Your church's organization and structure should provide an effective an efficient way for your church to pursue its mission, okay? Structure is the way that people are gathered, transformed, and sent out, right? So that part there, we need to be organized in a way that provides effective and efficient way for this church, this local congregation, to go forth and do its mission, okay? So let me, let me just set up some stuff here about this concept of structure before I get more into the scriptures, okay? So I went online and I was thinking, okay, what does a structural engineer do, right? An engineer builds something, but what about a structural engineer? So here's what it says, and I thought this was a good term. It says, they are responsible for the design of the primary structural system 
to serve to support the building's self-weight and takes in factors like space, occupancy, and environmental factors, their job ultimately is to make is durable and lasts. Okay? Their job is to make sure a building doesn't collapse. Okay? So I found this really good picture as well. Um, and so when you think about somebody who's building a building, a structural engineer, this is what they have to factor in. Right? I'm going to build a house. Okay? When I build a house, if my job is to make sure the house doesn't collapse, there are things called live loads, which is like snow and rain and furniture and people. Right? If I put people on a second floor, how many people could I put on a second floor before it starts to crumble? Right? I have to know how much that can hold. Right? There's also just dead loads, right? things like a roof, a floor, right? uh, utilities. Right? I'm going to put a toilet in here. That toilet will always pretty much be the same weight. Okay? Those, are, those are dead loads. Those things don't change. And then we also have dynamic loads, things like, like the environment, right? So if a tornado comes through, right, I have to think about that, or a flood, or a blizzard, right? I'm living out in, 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 uh, in Buffalo, right? Think about, I mean, people, have you ever seen out in Buffalo where people get on their roofs and they actually have to shovel snow off? Like, that's like a normal thing. Like, hey, son, get up on the roof and shovel it off, right? We don't do that here, right? But people have to, that's a dynamic load, and a structural engineer has to know about all of those things. And so when he gets materials, he goes, okay, here's a piece of lumber, right? What, what style of lumber am I using, right? You know, am I using pine? Is it oak, right? How sturdy, how strong? How many two-by-fours do I Do I need a two-by-four? Do I need a four-by-four? Do, do I need concrete? How much concrete? How deep does it need to be? I'm going to put utilities in. Where can I run plumbing? Where can I run wires? All of these factors a structural engineer has to think about because if he doesn't do it right, what happens? The house collapses and ultimately people can die in the process. Okay? So, so that's the job of a structural engineer. Let's make sure things don't collapse on themselves and kill people, right? Okay, so again, I, I'm saying all of that because I'm trying to set this up and I want you to keep these terms in your mind. Structure, structure, business structure, right? Engineering structure. Now we're going to look at church. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading, reading through there. Uh, but again, structure is absolutely important here. So to, to now get to where we're at, right, um, the, the second half of the book of Acts, right, the first half follows Peter, the second half follows the apostle Paul. Okay? Paul used to be Saul in Acts 9. He's going around, he's killing the church, and then he meets God, and God says, I'm basically going to use you. And so from Acts chapter 9 on through the rest of the, essentially the book of Acts, we now see the life of Paul. And Paul's going around, and he's planting all these churches, and he's spreading the gospel. He's going all over the known world. Right? He's up in Greece. He's in Jerusalem. He's over in Rome. He's over all these different places. And in Acts 18 and 19, he stops in the place called Ephesus. Okay? And he basically spends three years in Ephesus. Now, that's probably the longest time he spent with a church that wasn't Antioch, his home church. So he spends three years there. He tells everybody about God, who God is. He tells everybody about how the church is going to work. And now he's sitting in jail like 10 years later, and he goes, you know what? I'm going to write them a letter. I'm going to encourage them because I haven't seen them for the last like eight, ten years. I'm going to write this letter to the people of Ephesus and just encourage them. And so in the book of Ephesians, right, this is where we get the book of Ephesians from, the first half 
is all about what is this thing called the church. The second half is if you're part of the church, here's what it specifically looks like. Okay, So here's where we're at now. Chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. And again, we are talking church structure. So keep those structural terms in your mind. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that is done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and it destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by establishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death through hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Okay, so real quick, real quickly, he's talking about the Gentiles, right? The Jews always looked at the Gentiles and called them pigs and dogs, which was really bad terms back then. It was like a naughty word to say, okay? And they basically said, you've got no part of us. Well, now all of a sudden he says, listen, God's plan all along was to bring Jew and Gentile together into one thing, okay? So I, I know that's what you thought, but that was really wrong thinking because in the beginning of time, I planned to bring Gentiles, any non-Jewish person, together with Jewish people. So now they're united as one, okay? Now let's keep reading verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. He's talking about the Gentiles, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit so just in those couple of verses right do you see all of those structural pieces we're building a foundation Jesus is the chief cornerstone, right? That's like the first piece that you start building with, okay? The building is joined together. We're built together, okay? Again, all of those are structural terms that Paul is using, okay? All right, let me keep going here. Now we're going to come over to chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. Now, real quick, administration is another word for simply stewardship or management of, right? Again, management, right? We're thinking business structure here. The management of God's grace was given to me that this is the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, and has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, the holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. 
I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through the working of his power. And although I am then the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration, the stewardship, the management of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay, so that was a whole lot of reading. I get that. Let me just paraphrase what all of that said. God said, listen, through the Jewish people, my chosen treasured possession, way, way back in the beginning of time, right? We've got Adam and Eve, and then we've got our prophets like Ab- or our, our patriarchs like Abraham and Jacob, right? And, and we've got Joseph, and we've got Moses, and David, right? And, and Solomon. God said, listen, it's through you, through you, this Savior is going to come and save the whole world, okay? Now we fast forward all the way to the New Testament. And now we're saying, listen, I promised that the holy line of Jesus would come through my people. But that plan was that all people would be saved. And all of you would be knighted. Jew and Gentile would be knighted into one thing called the church. That was my plan. See, I didn't tell you about that long ago because there was so much you guys needed to know. I waited until now to explain this part of my unrailing plan to you. But that's what I planned from the very, very beginning, that Jew and Gentile were going to be one thing together, and they were going to be my church. And my church had a purpose. And that's what Paul's saying. It's my job to explain to you what is the purpose of this thing called the church. What is its purpose? What is its function? Why does the church, why is it going to have a structure in this whole process? Okay. And so he basically says there, right, in, in verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. He's basically saying, listen, our job as the church is to explain to people who is God and what God has done for them, right? That Christ was God, he came down, we are sinners, we deserve death, we deserve judgment, we deserve to go to hell, but Christ loves us too much, God loves us, the Holy Spirit loves us too much to let that happen, so he made a way and he sent Jesus, his perfect son, the sacrifice, okay, to die on that cross, and by believing in him, you'll get to go to heaven and be with me forever, okay? That's our job, that's what I want you to communicate to people, And as you begin to communicate that, you explain to them the glories and the wonders of who Christ is and what he's done and how he changes your lives and how our lives should be changed. That's the job of the church. Okay? That's the job of the church. All right, let me keep reading now. Verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Now, when he says you, he's not talking about you individually. He's talking about you corporately, the church. You, the church, is how we should be reading this. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, your hearts, right? The church's hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church. Now, just quick side note, wasn't planning on saying this. I, I'm using Larry's Bible. My father-in-law passed away. My mother-in-law gave this to me. It's a special. He circled that word glory. He circled that word glory. There's, there's some notes in here, but that one is emphasized. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. So Paul's now praying. He says, listen, I'm praying for all of you. I'm praying for the church. I want you to guys know. I want you to know how much God loves you, how, how deep it is, how wide it is, how long his love is for you. I want you to know how desperately he longs to have your heart and how much he loves you and how Going to the cross for him was nothing because of his deep desire and love for you. I want you to know that because when you know that and you understand that and you are filled to the full measure of who Christ is, then in the church, Christ is glorified. Okay? Christ is glorified. Okay? So, let me, uh, uh, let me stop here and make sure that we're all on the same page about something. Okay? God is always for God. There is a huge misconception that God is all about me, right? Because why? Because our hearts are sinful and we're self-centered. So God who creates the universe must be about me. Yes, he died for you. He loved you. I'm not debating that. But so often people are let down and displeased with God because they go, well, God never came through. Well, what did you expect God to do? Well, I expect God to give me a million dollars, get me the job, and get me the perfect wife, right? Well, again, if that is our perception of what God is supposed to do, you are sadly mistaken because that's not what God is about. God is for God, and God is for God's glory. Yes, he gives you great and wonderful blessings, but all of that is meant to be turned back into praise and blessing for him. So just a couple couple quick verses here, right? The beginning of Ephesians there, uh, 1 verses 4 through 6, it says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. See, right? God had a plan even before you were created. God had a plan even before you were created. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. I got a plan. I'm going to save this world even before you were born. I had a plan that I wanted to save you through Jesus. Okay, In accordance with his pleasure and will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. I am ultimately saving you for my praise and my glory. Okay, Isaiah 43. He says, I formed you and I made you for my glory. I mean, think about it. Why would God create a bunch of people who then turn their backs on him and rebel, right? Just so he could watch a bunch of people run away from him? No, God made us and said, the whole reason why I made you is to glorify who I am. Okay? And, and when God is bringing back the Israel, remember how I mentioned the Israelites, they were so naughty that God punished them and they got sent off into captivity for 70 years? When God brings them back, look what he says in Ezekiel. He says, thus says the Lord, it's not for your sake. No, it's not for your sake that I'm bringing you back because I feel bad for you. No, it's, it's I'm about to act for the sake of my holy name. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. And all the nations will know that 
I am the Lord. See, the reason why I, I sent you there is to punish you, right? Because you were naughty, you rebelled. But the only reason why I'm bringing you back is because I'm doing it for my glorious name. Because when I bring you back, this will be one more story where people will go, God is amazing. God loves. God cares. God is gracious. God is, God is great beyond all measure. That's why God is doing it, right? And again, for some people, they get hung up. Well, that sounds really self-conceited. Why? Listen, God made the whole universe. We have no right to tell God what he can or cannot do. If you're not sure, if you're, you're right now thinking, well, you know, God's up there. God can take you off the face of this earth in a moment if he desired to. Okay? We have absolutely no power unless God enables it through us. Okay, So if we're sitting here saying God sounds really self-centered, he has every right to be self-centered if we want to use that term, even though it's not a good term. All right, But God is for God, and God is for God's glory. That's why he made the church, because he says, I want you as the church to go forward and proclaim my name. Okay? All right, let's get back to where we're at in Ephesians here. Um, so... Here's what happened. God saves me, right? I fall in love with Christ. I understand his love. And God says, listen, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Okay? And I want you to love other people that same way. And when you love other people the same way, here's what's going to happen. Their eyes will be opened to understanding the gospel, and they will embrace my spirit. And in return, they will praise and glorify me just like you did. Right? All right? So, so, so God is sending us forth to go and be these witnesses, right? So, so our love, again, ultimately results in God's praise. And so now we come to Ephesians chapter 4, right? So first half, here's the whole purpose of the church. Now we, now we transition as part of the church, as part of the church now individually, here's what it looks like. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, who is over all and through all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he's just laying out now individually. Guys, listen. You're part of collectively the church. The church has got a job to do. The church has got a mission to do to glorify my name. And this only works that if you and the church are unified in this process. Okay? All right. So here we go. I talked about the reason why we're talking about this is church structure. You still may be saying, I have no idea why we're talking church structure. Here's why church structure is so important, the way that the church is organized. Okay? Verse, verse 8. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended to the very one who ascended higher than all heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined together and is held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here's what God's saying. The overall structure of the church has got purpose to proclaim God's glory. That's the job all of us collectively. Then God goes on and says, now within that church there is structure. Some of you are going to be apostles who will go forward and proclaim the glory to unknown reaches. You're, you're the visionary. You're the spearhead of it all. Some of you are the prophets. Some of you are the type of people that when someone is messing up, you're the type of person who says, you're an idiot. Stop it. You're not following the word of God. Remain faithful to him. Some of you are evangelists where you go out into the streets and you're in the grocery store and you're always talking about who Christ is, right? Somebody could pick up a vegetable in the grocery aisle and you have that ability to turn that into some message about what Jesus has done on the cross for them. That's what an evangelist does. Some of you are shepherds, okay? Now, we often use that word pastor, but it actually literally means shepherd. Some of you are just so good at throwing your arms around somebody that when they say to you, I'm hurting, you go, I love you and God loves you. Let me walk this journey with you. And some of you are teachers. Some of you have the ability to get into God's word and say, here's what God's word means. Okay? See, what you thought there was actually not right. Right? This is, this is what it is. Right? So, so there is structure to this. And God says, listen, to some of these people, I've given these gifts. I've given these gifts to do what? To prepare God's people for works of service. I'm giving these gifts to people in the church so they can prepare other people to do the works of God, which is to go forth and do what? Proclaim his glorious name in whatever capacity that looks like. So that, so that what? So that we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, what God wants is all of us, all of us collectively, to work in the lives of one another, that we are building each other up to the point where Christ is so firmly rooted in our heart that when what happens, when the winds come, when the waves, when the storms, when the craftiness of man comes and says, what you're believing is a lie, We've been so built up together as a church that we withstand the storms that are raging outside. That is what the purpose of all of this structure is meant for. I mean, think about it. There are so many. We, we walk out these doors, right? This is, this is our church building, right? We have, we have the right to speak whatever we want here. But the moment we walk out those doors, there's a culture that hates us. There's an enemy that's trying to destroy us. There are people that are going to speak lies to you about who Christ is and about the way church is and about God's love. And if we together have not built each other up, when we get out there, you know what's going to happen? We're going to crumble, and we're going to collapse, and we're going to fall apart. I mean, think about how many churches now 
are believing so many unbiblical lies because they've catered to culture. Because why? Because together they didn't join themselves as one to withstand the storms that's going to attack them. Because see, here's the thing. It's, it's now our job to spread God's glory. And if this church crumbles and falls apart, is the church doing its job? Is the church doing its job? No. And so we together have to build one another up. We together have to withstand the storms. Just like a structural engineer makes sure a house doesn't collapse, this house cannot collapse. But it takes every single one of you. Did you, did you catch that? From the hymn, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament. See, if you guys just come here and you just show up on a Sunday to, to be fed by God's word and then you leave and you never engage with anyone and you never use your godly ministry, you are not helping the church body. All you're doing is warming a seat because that's not what God called you as a disciple. God called you as the disciple to proclaim his glory and proclaim his love. Guys, we need each other. I need you to speak into my life. I need to speak into your life. There are people that you will reach that I can never reach, and I will reach people that you will never reach. There are things that you can do for the glory of God that I can never do for the glory of God. I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. I am I'm a relational person. I, I can be friendly. I am not a shepherd. All right? If you come to me with your problems, I will help you as best as I can. But here's my response, most likely. And, and this is, I need to work on this. This is a, something I need to work on. But most likely, here's what I'll say to you. Here's what God's word says. Stop doing it. Move on with your life. That's not very caring, right? It's not very caring. But there are other people who will do that well. Pastor Adam will throw his arms around you. Now, he's going to be a little bit more harsh. He's a prophet. He's going to call it like it is, but he'll walk hand in hand with you. I'll just look at you and say, I don't, I don't get what your problem is. Let's just move on, right? Now, it doesn't mean I don't love you. I do love you guys. I do love you very much. It's just I look at it from God's word because I'm a teacher, and I go, here's what God's word said. I I explained it to you. I don't, I don't understand what's the problem anymore, right? Do you see that? Now, how many of you want to come talk to me about your problems? Yeah, see, nobody does, right? And I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody really calls me on the phone when they've got crisis in their life because I've demonstrated. And I'm sorry if I've hurt people's feelings. That's never my intention of doing that, right? But, but again, that's why there has to be other people because when you are in crisis, you need somebody in this church that will love on you. Okay, So some of you have that gift, and you're hoarding it from the rest of us. Some of you love talking about Jesus, and you're probably really good at it. And we need you to go out and to go into the world and tell people, because there's empty seats here, and we don't want empty seats. Because, because see, here's the thing again, right? The purpose of the church is this. We have a mission, right? What is our mission here at Journey? What do we say every Sunday morning? We say we're here to discover, disciple, and deliver. That's our mission, right? That's our Guys, we need everybody to do that. Because some of you 
will help people discover what it is. Some of you will help people be discipled in that. Some of you will help people go and deliver that to new people. That's our mission. But, but I'm going I'm to let you in on something here. This is what we say every Sunday. But I want you guys to realize something. We're part of something bigger. We are two campuses. Okay? So this is our mission. But here's our vision as these two campuses. What we want to do is we want to empower a multiplying movement of gospel-centered, disciple-making, established churches in our communities and the rest of the world. See, we don't talk about this on a normal basis, but this is what we talk about as leadership. Because here's our desire, guys, and here's Christ's desire. Go spread my glorious name. Go spread it. And so as leaders, we're sitting around and saying, where's the next church plan? Who in this church are we going to have to siphon off and shed tears and say goodbye to because they're going to go somewhere else and start a new church? See, we talk that way, and you guys don't know it, but I'm letting you in on that secret because I want you to realize this, that the way that we do this is through what? Through established churches. Because why? Because when a church is established and we pick up, we pick up a group of 30 of you and we put you in a different spot and we say, go and do everything, what do they do? They raise people up. They help people understand what the gospel is. And they build them and they teach them about God's word. And that way when the, the, the crisis comes in people's lives, those people are now so rooted in who Christ is that they withstand the storms to the praise of God's glory. And then you know what we're telling those people to do? Get a whole new group of people. And when you've got enough people, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Because why? Because that's what God told us to do in the book of Acts. Go be my witness, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That is the job of the church. And that's why it's so important, guys, that we have structure within this church. If we don't know the purpose of this church, if you don't know your role in this church, what we are doing is ultimately hindering the gospel going forward. Now, Christ can do anything, right? But God has given us this mission to do it. And so the question now is this. Where are you in the structure of the church if you are just warming a seat, I'm sorry, it's not good enough for us. Because God did not give you gifts and talents to sit here and do nothing with it. God gave you those gifts and talents for his glorious praise and grace. The people in this church need you. The people outside this church need you. And we have to stop living a lie that all I have to do is just show up to church and that makes me good and I can walk through the eternal kingdom one day. No, what Christ called us to is to be his disciples and to follow him wholeheartedly wherever he leads us and to be part of this thing called the church. One of the things that I struggle with is church hoppers. And here's what, I, and this is not a knock on people because we all have at times legitimate reasons, right? I left another church to come here. But, but here's what I talk about church hoppers. Well, I was at that church for six months and then I left. Why? I didn't like the music. Church isn't about music. 
I didn't like the way they dressed. It's too, too stuffy for me. God, kids, youth kids, man, they were wearing hats in church and they had tattoos. I can't stand that. I'm out of here. I just didn't like the sermon's preaching style. See, that's what a church hopper does. But do we ever realize the point of being part of a church is because you're supposed to be part of that family to do something? See, we don't because we, we, we train people that it's mixed church, right? You have church your way, and if you don't like it, go somewhere else. That's not the point of the church, guys. That is absolutely the farthest thing from from us. Let me just finish with this. Um, <clears throat> how many of you guys have ever heard of Greg Delamitros? Tony Leonard. Kevin Doherty. Nobody heard of any of them. Shame on you. They must feel awful about themselves. You know, they were part of the Super Bowl champion Eagles this year. Nobody ever saw their picture. Nobody ever heard their name. Greg is the equipment manager. So when somebody's helmet doesn't fit, it's his job to make it work. Pads are too tight, too loose. It's his job to get them fixed. Tony's the field manager, right? So every Sunday... He had to make sure the field was nice. So people, you know, remember back in the old days of the vet where people were always getting hurt, right? Tony's job is to make sure that doesn't happen. You know what Kevin does? Kevin's video production. The only reason why you get to watch it on TV is because of Kevin. Nobody ever said thank you to them, but you know what they got? They got a Super Bowl ring. You know why? Because they're part of the team. Some of us in this church will stand on a stage. Some of us will be in a spotlight. Some of you never will. That does not mean any one of you is any better or any less than anyone else in this church. But every single one of you has a part to play. How about Ryan Moore? Did you guys hear about him? He was in the newspaper all the time. You can still read about him, except they don't call him Ryan Moore. They call him the brother-in-law. See, when Nick Foles went away and he contemplated retirement, he went with his brother-in-law, Ryan Moore. And Nick said one of the reasons why was because his brother-in-law, Ryan, who doesn't even have a name in a newspaper, encouraged him to stay. Boy, wouldn't that have been a different conversation we'd be having here in Philly if Ryan said, Nick, you should just hang up your cleats. Guys, we're all part of this church. We're all part of this family. We need you. God's given us a mission to do this together. So I want us to think about this concept of structure. What is the purpose of this church, and where do you fit in? And if you're like, Adam, I don't know where I fit in, then we need to sit down and we need to talk. Because if you're going to walk out of here and go, that was a nice sermon, and you're going to sit in your house and do nothing for the rest of the week until next Sunday, it's not good enough. We need you. We need you because together we need you to spread the glorious praise of God. Because why? Because God saved us. And there are people that when you walk out the doors that are going to go to hell because they don't know a believing Savior. It's a glorious life we live in the hope and the knowledge and the full measure of Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, I, I, I know this is a topic we don't often think. Lord, we... we we think through this concept of structure and, and we go, eh, that's, that's for the business world. But, but Lord, you've, 
You've designed your church body to have order, to have purpose, to have function. God, you've designed us to, to live within the confines and boundaries of what you've desired. And Lord, I thank you that you challenge us. Lord, I thank you that you give us gifts for your glory. And Lord, I pray that we utilize those gifts. If we're not sure where we fit in this whole process, God, you would lay it on our hearts to be illuminated to what it is that you want. But ultimately, God, this is all meant to be for your glory. Lord, may we have stories in the year to come, God, about what you have done within this church, about moving forward, how your gospel is growing. Lord, Lord, we want to see people come to know you. Lord, we want to see these seats filled, not again because we want to pat ourselves on the back and say we've got a big church. God, we want to see these seats filled because, Lord, we want to know that lives can be transformed in the knowledge and the love of you. Lord, I I want to see the drug addict kick the habit, proclaim you. God, I I want to see the the prostitute give up a life of, of selling herself because she feels meaningless to realize she has all the purpose in the world. God, I I want to see the the woman who's had an abortion come into this church and realize that life is valuable and how she now fights for the lives of little ones. God, I want to see the greedy swindler throw his cash into the air for your glory. God, I want to see my prideful heart be broken. Lord, I want to see my fearful heart be made one of courage. God, I I want to have a heart that's broken for the lost. May we hold hands together as we push forth to do what you called us to go to the ends of the earth.